teaching text is from Matthew 22, 1 through 14. Once more, Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his slaves to call those who had been invited to the wedding banquet, for they would not come. Again, he sent other slaves, saying, Tell those who have been invited, Look, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. But they made light of it and went away, one to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his slaves, mistreated them, and killed them. The king was enraged. He sent his troops, destroyed those murderers, and burned their city. Then he said to his slaves, The wedding is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go, therefore, into the main streets and invite everyone you find to the wedding banquet. Those slaves went out into the streets and gathered all whom they found, both good and bad. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king, when the king came in to see the guest, he noticed a man there who was not wearing a wedding robe. And he said to him, Friend, how did you get in here without a wedding robe? And he was speechless. Then the king said to his attendants, Bind him hand and foot, throw him into the outer darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are called, but few are chosen. The word of the Lord. Brothers and sisters, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would give us your word today. Speak to us, correct us where we err, and strengthen us where we falter, that we may be participants in the wedding feast of your Son. Amen. Jesus is making himself unwelcome. So if you remember last week, uh, our reading took place where Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem for the final time. This is the week of his crucifixion. And he had paused on the edge of Judea, right across the Jordan River, uh, several miles from Jerusalem in order to do a little bit of teaching before his uh, final week in Jerusalem. And if you remember, there were many people coming to him, Pharisees, and uh, a rich young man comes to him, and some children come to him, and his disciples come to him, and he's answering all these questions. Well, our reading for today takes place a few days later. Jesus is now in Jerusalem. He's in the temple, the very heart of the life of worship of Israel. And the events of Palm Sunday have already happened, so this triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem has already taken place. He's already been welcomed by the crowd singing, Hosanna, uh, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. He has already gone into the temple and overturned those tables of the money changers and those who were selling things who had taken up shop in the, in the temple. He has done this cleansing, and this is now the next day after that. And Jesus is in the temple and he's speaking to the chief priests and he's speaking to the Pharisees and he's speaking to the elders of the people. He's speaking to those who are on the inside, those who, take, uh, who spend their time in the temple, who spend their lives at the center of Israel's life of worship. 
If anyone is an insider, at least from a religious point of view in uh, Israel, it is these people to whom Jesus is speaking. And Jesus has just told this series of three parables. Our reading today is the third of these three. And all of them have something to do with this kingdom or this blessing or this, uh, these rights being taken away from those who thought they deserved what they had and being given to those who seem unworthy. So, for example, he starts with this story of two sons. Uh, their father says, tells both of these two sons to go out into the vineyard. One of them immediately, uh, probably the firstborn, I'm sure, answers, uh, oh, yes, father, I will do that right away. Uh, the other one says, no, I will not go out. But then as time goes on, the one who said, I will, doesn't. And the one who uh, said, I will not, changes his mind and makes his way out to the vineyard to work. And Jesus says, which of these actually did the will of his father? Uh, the Pharisees, uh, or the chief priests, rather, and the elders to whom he is speaking uh, respond, well, the second one did, of course. And uh, Jesus responds, uh, even the tax collectors and prostitutes will enter the kingdom ahead of you, he says. Then he tells a second parable. His second parable is, uh, involves another vineyard and a landowner who rents this vineyard out to some tenants. And when he goes to collect the rent that is due him at the harvest time, a, a percentage of the harvest, I imagine, uh, the, uh, the tenants refuse uh, to give his rent. So he sends his servants to them, and they actually take some of these servants, and they abuse them and even kill some of them. And he says, well, I'll send them my son. He's the heir of the vineyard. Certainly he will uh, be respected by these tenants. But the tenants have a uh, strange plan, honestly, to take the son, to put him to death, and then to have the vineyard all to themselves. Jesus says, well, what do you think this man will do with these wicked tenants? And his listeners respond, well, of course, he will drive them out and he will uh, lease the tenants to those who will actually pay what they're supposed to. And uh, then Jesus says this, therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people that produces the fruits of the kingdom. And then we arrive at our parable today. Jesus is making himself unwelcome. And he's making himself unwelcome with the most powerful people, religiously speaking, in Israel. Now, we have to be a little bit careful with these parables. We have to be a little bit careful with these sayings and other sayings like them in Scripture, because this is not a racial thing. So there is a long history within the Christian church of misinterpreting these texts as saying, well, in the past, God chose only those who were, you know, ethnically Jewish, the, the nation of Israel. And then at the time of Jesus, God rejects those who are ethnically Jewish, the nation of Israel, and now turns to give the kingdom to um, all those Gentiles, all those non-Jews out there, as though it was a racial problem. Of course, this has led to all sorts of uh, atrocities and uh, bad uh, and evil behavior on the part of Christians towards Jews over the centuries, as you can imagine. It's not a racial thing. What Jesus is doing is he is speaking against those who are the insiders, those who are in power, the chief priests, the elders, the Pharisees, and he's speaking on behalf of the prostitutes, the tax collectors, the sinners, those who are undeserving, those who are, by the way, also Jews. Again, it's not a racial thing. But Jesus is here standing in the temple, speaking against the authorities by this other authority, an authority that they do not recognize. And as you can imagine, it's making them 
feel a bit uncomfortable. I mean, after all, listen to this wedding uh, feast parable in that context, knowing that this is what has been going on. So he talks about a king sending invitations to the wedding. The original invitees to the wedding, when they get the uh, reminder call from the servants to show up that day, uh, decide it's not that big of a deal. One goes to his farm, one goes to his business. They've got more important things to attend to than the wedding of this prince, of the son of this king. Others are even worse. They take the servants, and like those vineyard tenants, they abuse them and even kill them. And the king responds uh, just as extremely. And I'm not quite sure how we're supposed to understand this time-wise, because it sounds like the food is out on the table. You know, dinner's getting cold, and the king finds time to muster an army and send them and burn the city. So I'm not quite sure how the time uh, uh, lines up there. But in the parable, the king responds with extreme force. He is very upset about this. Clearly, he cares very much about his son. In fact, the king here reminds me a little bit, I don't know if you remember the animated Cinderella in uh, the Disney Cinderella movie. Uh, And uh, if you remember, the king, the father of the prince who ends up marrying Cinderella, wants grandchildren more than anything else. And so he wants his son to be married more than anything else. And uh, there is nothing that is more important to him. And when there is a chance uh, that his uh, son is falling in love with someone, he is over the moon. He couldn't be happier. But when it seems, even for an instant, that anything might get in the way of this, he immediately pulls out his sword and he starts chasing his steward around. I don't know if you remember this scene. They're bouncing on this gigantic bed he has. You can tell I have children. Um, <laughs> but he remind, the king reminds me of this. He's, just, he's, he's all in on his son's wedding. This is the most important thing to him. And for this to be despised, he will raise an army and burn their city to the ground if they don't show up. And in fact, if they mistreat his slaves. So... So this is, this is the picture so far that Jesus is telling this parable to uh, the uh, Pharisees and the chief priests and the elders. So then he sends his slaves out to collect other folks. And who does he say to collect? Well, he says, go out to the streets, these thoroughfares. He's actually going out of the city. So he's actually kind of going to the outskirts of the city and, and bring in everyone you can find. And it says, the slaves went out into the streets and they gathered all whom they found, both good and bad. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. Now, if we stopped the parable here, you could see why those chief priests and those Pharisees and those elders would be a little upset. After all, Jesus has just told them in no uncertain terms that they are not the inheritors of the kingdom that they think they are, that the uh, sinners and the tax collectors are going to be getting into the kingdom ahead of them. And it might leave us feeling pretty okay with this parable, right? I mean, after all, we are, uh, you know, many centuries down the road, uh, the results of those who are gathered in from the streets, the good and the bad, all gathered in here into the king's wedding feast uh, out of the mercy of the king uh, who desires to have a good wedding for his son. But of course, the parable goes on a little farther, doesn't it? The king can't leave well enough alone. It's not enough just to have a full wedding feast. He needs to go and inspect his guests. And as he's going through, he sees one who's not wearing a wedding robe. Now, I don't know exactly what a wedding, wedding robe would look like. I tried to figure this out historically, what the custom was, uh, and I couldn't quite figure it out. But as best as I can think, 
it would make sense that this was some sort of garment that would be provided to these people as they were ushered in off the street. Probably they weren't carrying a wedding robe around with them, especially some of the class of people that he might have been gathering in off the streets here. So this is something that must have been being provided for them. And so the king finds one of them that's not wearing this wedding robe. And the king says, how did you get in here without a wedding robe? And the man has nothing to say. And the king, in his uh, classic uh, passionate uh, response here, says, bind him hand and foot, throw him into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And then Jesus sums it all up at the end with this saying, many are called, that is invited, few are chosen. Leaves us feeling a little uncomfortable here at the end as well, doesn't it? This isn't a parable just uh, to bother Pharisees and uh, scribes and chief priests and elders. It might get one or two of us in there as well. Jesus' parables do this. They tend to leave us with more questions than they do answers. The parables teach us something about God. They teach us something about the kingdom of heaven. They teach us something about the way the gospel works. But it's rare that they actually say which person we are in the parable. And so as you think about these parables, and this one especially, you're left wondering, who am I in this parable? I mean, probably we're not the king. We can probably agree with that, although perhaps we can sympathize with the king, the feeling of having this massive party and having not all that many folks show up. In fact, I think in many ways, the church in, uh, in the West has felt this way in general, in Europe and in the United States uh, and in North America, where uh, we have this big party and we have this wonderful invitation and it seems uh, more and more people are making light of it or just not showing up. Maybe we can empathize with the king there, but we're probably not the king uh, in the parable. Maybe we're the servants, those slaves that are sent out to collect folks. Uh, Some of those slaves are being mistreated and abused. That's happening today in our world, by the way. Uh, Some of those slaves are just not having much success. Some of those slaves are out in the streets gathering the good and the bad uh, to come into the building. Maybe we're the slaves in the story. Although I don't know about you, I haven't uh, been out on the streets collecting people perhaps as much as I should have. Maybe, maybe you've done a little bit more of that. Well, that leaves us pretty much with the guests. So there's that first group of guests who's invited but doesn't uh, see the invitation as uh, all that uh, worth paying much attention to. They make light of it. They have other things uh, to busy themselves with. But since we're here, probably we're more of that second set of guests who's actually collected into it. So so we're that group who gets to benefit now from being invited to the wedding feast and being gathered in both of the good and the bad here together. But at least one question, are you wearing your wedding robe? When the king comes to inspect his wedding face or his wedding feast, And to inspect the guests, how will he see us? To use Jesus' language at the end of the parable there, perhaps we are the called, we are the invited, we can be sure of that, but are we the chosen? Or to put it in the terms of the parable, uh, are we dressed appropriately? Are you wearing your wedding robe? And how can you know for sure? When the king comes to test you, when the king comes to see if you measure up to the requirements of this kingdom, of this wedding feast, how will you answer? 
Will you point to your own wardrobe of works, this colorful rag that you have stitched together for yourself? Will you offer your good intentions as your evidence of worthiness, or will you, like the man in our parable, stand speechless? Or will you instead rest in confidence, clothed not in your own designs, but in the wedding robe given to you by the bridegroom himself? For not only has God called you, invited you into his kingdom, but in the waters of your baptism, he has also chosen you and has clothed you, both the good and the bad, with the righteousness of Christ. He has covered your filthy rags with the pure white wedding robe of his promise of salvation. He has gathered you from the thoroughfares and from the back alleys and given you a seat at the wedding feast of Jesus, filling you up with these blessings of forgiveness and mercy. Whether you are gathered and feasting or sent and inviting, you are God's chosen beloved, and he has clothed you to match. So when that day comes, and the king asks you just how it is that you came to be here, point not to yourself and your efforts and your intentions or anything else than Christ. Point only to Christ. For his promise is sufficient. His forgiveness is secure. And through his death and resurrection, he has provided you all that you need. So what do you do with this wedding robe other than feast? Can you go out and share it? Can you clothe others in this wedding robe? Can you point others to the waters of baptism where they too can receive this promise? Can you gather up the good and the bad in the alleys and in the thoroughfares and show them here is a place where there is food and good food, food better than anything you have ever experienced? You have been clothed in Christ. And there is plenty of that to share. And though it may not go well for you, it did not go well for all of the slaves. Christ's sacrifice, Christ's clothing, your baptism is sufficient for you. Amen.